You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One day he's coming. Jesus is coming back, and he'll be arriving when we don't expect it, when it's the perfect time. He'll come to judge the evil in this world and conquer Satan forever. He'll come to take his church to be with him for eternity. Today, Pastor Danny will share what a glorious time this will be for a follower of Christ. However, it will be a day of destruction for those who haven't given their lives to Christ. Jesus' return may be sooner than we think, so now is the time to get right with God. Now is the time to accept Jesus. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 with today's edition of The Living Word. Hebrews gets its name because it was written to a group of Jewish believers that had come to know Christ through apostolic missionaries that had gone out from Jerusalem. These missionaries had firsthand uh, experience with Jesus in his ministry. They heard him teach. They probably, well, they saw miracles, I'm sure. They might have been the recipients of some miracles. These Jewish Christians are outside of the land of Israel, it seems. That's what most scholars believe. Some believe uh, in Italy because the last chapter in the closing remarks, the author will say, those from Italy send you greetings. We don't know if that's where they were, but that's where the letter gets its name, Jewish believers. And so a lot of Jewish flavor here, a lot of old covenant stuff. Uh, as a matter of fact, the letter is a contrast between the old covenant received through Moses and the new covenant instituted by Jesus Christ. Last week, we saw from Galatians 3.19 that the old covenant the covenant of law was mediated by angels, and that was a fascinating thing. God doesn't give us the details of how all that worked out, but not just one angel, several angels. Now, Jews, historically, as they well should, and we should too, have a very lofty view of angels. Now, we spent a little time last week talking about angels. Angels are incredible beings created by God. Uh, they are created with rank uh, some are more powerful than others, all of them more powerful than human beings. Uh, they have celestial or heavenly bodies. We have human bodies. And so that's why the scripture we looked at last week that we'll see again today says that the Lord created them, created us a little lower than the angels. Just as a reminder, angels are ministering spirits, verse 14 of chapter 1, sent to 
serve those who will inherit salvation. The name angel means servant or messenger. Now, of course, one angel created by God, Lucifer, Satan, he has several different names, the devil, uh, one of God's highest ranking angels ever created. He rebelled against God. He led some other angels in rebellion, and they are the fallen angels, and they certainly are not the ministering angels to those of us who will inherit salvation. As a matter of fact, they don't like us at all. And there's the conflict between those who are now faithful to God and those who have fallen with Lucifer. And with that, of course, Satan is an angel. And Ephesians 6 says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of this dark world. So mysterious and yet amazing. They are often depicted with wings, but they sometimes appear as human They are capable of emotion. There's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels, with the angels, over one sinner who repents. So they know how to party in a very good way. Uh, They love prophecy. They love the Word of God, but especially prophecy. 1 Peter 1.12 that I cited last week, they long to look into these things. The context is what the prophets have spoken regarding the coming of Christ and the fulfillment of the ages and the end of the world and Jesus coming back and all those things. They love prophecy. They don't have it all figured out. Uh, They don't procreate. Uh, Jesus said, we will be like the angels in heaven. We won't be angels. We'll be like the angels in that we won't procreate. And of course, we'll have celestial bodies. I'm needing one more every day, and I'm going to get it one day. Matthew 28, 2, that I also cited last week, says an angel came down from heaven at the resurrection, and he rolled back the stone from the tomb, not to let Jesus out. Jesus was already out, to let us in, to see that he has indeed risen. And it says, when the angel came from heaven, there was a violent earthquake. That's interesting. Because as we approach the end of the age and the second coming of Jesus Christ, one of the things the Bible says, there will be an increase of angelic activity in the heavenlies. Uh, Conflict between heaven and earth and, and the one who rules the earth. But you're getting ahead of me here. And I just think it's interesting because one of the prophecies that's clear too is before Jesus comes, and as it nears his coming, we'll see an increase of earthquakes in the world, in all kinds of places, places you never thought earthquakes would would happen before. And I wonder, and I do believe, that it's connected with an increase in angelic activity. And so every time you hear about an earthquake, things are happening, man, I'm telling you. Daniel saw a vision of an angel. Uh, He described the angel, his body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, his voice like the voice of a multitude. And Daniel says, when I saw him, I had no strength, my face turned deathly pale, and I fell into a deep sleep. To put it succinctly, he fainted. (laughs) He fainted. John, uh, in receiving the book of the Revelation, At chapter 18, an angel with great authority comes down from heaven, begins to reveal things to John. Then you get to chapter 19, and John falls down before this angel's feet to worship him, and the angel says, don't you do it. Get up. Worship God. I'm a fellow servant with you and with those who worship Jesus. You worship God. So, Rightly so, Jews had a high and lofty view of angels historically, as we should too, because um, they're God's messengers. The Old Covenant, the covenant of Moses, received through Moses, to Moses, was mediated by angels. 
And so if Jesus is the mediator, the Bible says, of the new covenant solely, just Jesus himself is the mediator of the new covenant, then he has to be greater than the angels. That was the whole point of chapter 1. That's just a quick review. And the writer in chapter 1 cites seven Old Testament passages, seven passages from the Old Testament, uh, proving that Jesus is greater than the angels. And he has to be if he's the mediator of a better covenant. And one of the words you'll see time and time again in Hebrews is better, better, better. The new covenant has better promises, a better priest, better sacrifice, better altar, better everything. As a matter of fact, everything the Old Testament and the law tried to do for us, it couldn't do because we couldn't attain to what it required. And there was no sacrifice offered that would take away our sins. And it's the new covenant and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his shed blood on the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, and now through that, through that sacrifice, through that work, we have the privilege of being forgiven, being made holy by faith, having a hope that's beyond your wildest dreams, and we're going to get into that a little bit. So he's the mediator of a better covenant, and he's greater than the angels. He has to be as the mediator of the new covenant. Now, with that said, jump in with me. Chapter 2, verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. Stop there. It is not to angels that God has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. Now, when last week in our study of chapter 1 and the first four verses of chapter 2, when did he talk about the world to come? We'll go back to chapter 1. We didn't talk about it. We just cited it. It's the seventh and final Old Testament quotation. You find it in verse 13 of chapter 1. To which of the angels did God ever say, ma'am, I love your child, and I love you, and I hope you don't feel uncomfortable, but we got a family room over here, and I don't want anybody distracted by what the Holy Spirit's going to say to us. So if you don't mind, I I love you, and I love your child. I have four. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And I know they're just going to be children. God bless you. Thank you for doing that. So chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 warned us, don't neglect this message. Don't drift away from it because it's the only message whereby you'll be saved. So Jesus greater than the angels, but he says, it's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. And verse 13, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? It's a very literal verse and prophecy about Messiah that one day the Father will make all of Messiah, Jesus Christ's enemies, a footstool for his feet. It's very literal because in ancient history, kings were always elevated above their subjects, and if you came before the king, you were always at the king's feet because he's on his throne. Are you with me? One day, all of Jesus' enemies will be made a footstool for his feet. Now, all kind of enemies. You know what the Bible says the last enemy to be destroyed is? Death. Can't wait for that day. Every day I look in the mirror, I can't wait for that day. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Lots and lots of scriptures I could give you. We talked about Philippians 2. I at least cited it last week that God's given him the name Jesus, the name above every name there now, that at the name of Jesus, one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord. 
And that will happen one day with unbelievers and believers. Every tongue confess, every knee bow that he's Lord. And prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that Jesus, when he comes again, he will set up his kingdom on earth. Okay? He'll set up his kingdom. Isaiah said, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will rule and reign supreme. I can't wait for that day. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 describes this second coming in this way. Verse 4, 2 Thessalonians. All this is evidence, verse 5, that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. Now he's writing to Christians, suffering persecution in the world. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you, the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One day he's coming. If you know anything about prophecy, he's coming soon. Uh, Folks, this is real stuff. I wish I could just grab you and shake you if you don't know how real this stuff is. Jesus really is coming. He came the first time. He gave his life. He died on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again. And he did it so that you and I might be saved. All right? And he's coming again. He's coming again. And he's going to set up a kingdom. And he's going to rule and reign supreme. There will be no Democrats then. <laughs> there will be no Republicans then. Uh, there will only be independents. <laughs> Actually, only one independent, and that's Jesus Christ. And he's not like the independents now. He's king of kings and lord of lords, and he's going to come. He's going to rule. He's going to reign forever and ever and ever and ever. Zechariah 14.9 puts it very succinctly, and it just says, in that day there will only be one name and one lord, and he'll be lord of the whole earth. He's coming. Now, here's one of the most fascinating things about knowing that Jesus is coming again and that he will set up his kingdom and he will rule and reign supreme forever and ever and ever and ever. Here's one of the most fascinating things about that. Along with those same prophecies, linked with those prophecies, there are prophecies, numerous ones, some spoken by Jesus himself, that tell me as a Christian that I'm going to rule and reign with him. Is that incredible? I'm going to rule and reign with him. Revelation 3.21, Jesus says, to him who overcomes, I'll give him the right to sit on my throne, just as I overcame and have sat on that throne. You overcome by faith in Jesus, and then one day you'll sit on his throne with him. Listen, let me blow your mind. Ephesians chapter 1, what does it say? Uh, Verse um, 19, his comparably great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. There, see it again. All things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Whoa. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And then you get a little later in chapter 2, and here's what he says. 
God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Folks, listen. Here's what we just read. Here's what the Bible declares. That when I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and even right now as a Christian, even though I'm standing here on this physical platform and I'm living on a physical planet Earth, I am spiritually seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms. It's just as if I'm already there. I'm seated with him on his throne. And when he comes again and sets up his throne on this Earth and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I and you, if you know him as Lord and Savior, will rule and reign with him. Listen, listen. The Bible says I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Not a lesser heir, I'm a joint heir. That's why Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, you guys are squabbling and fighting over things of this earth and you're taking one another to court. Listen, all things are yours. You're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. How much does he own? He owns everything. <laughs> How much am I going to get? Everything. Don't worry about the bank and your account and anything in this life. Man, you've got an inheritance you can't even wrap your mind around. Amazing. Amazing. Come on. You can't give him praise. That's okay. That's okay. Well, that was one verse. You know, for the last three weeks, God made it difficult for me in one way because I usually, I preach and teach with an outline, point one, point two, point three, poem, conclusion, nice story, something. And for the last three weeks, he hasn't given me an outline. So that was one verse. Verse five, chapter two, but there is a place where someone has testified and the someone is King David in Psalm eight, and he quotes a section of Psalm eight. What is man that you are mindful of him? the son of man, that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. That's what Psalm 110 from chapter 1 verse 13 said about the Messiah. But here, while also I believe a reference to Messiah because it says the son of man, and that's his title from Daniel chapter 7, and that's why the Pharisees got all bent out of shape on one occasion when he said, you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. He's claiming to be the Christ, the Messiah. And while it could refer to Christ, it also refers to human beings. You want me to prove it to you, don't you? Okay, leave the text here. Put a marker. We're coming right back to Hebrews chapter 2. Go to Psalm 8, where that quotation is taken from. It's from Psalm 8. Psalm 8, David no doubt on a cloudless night, night, out somewhere in the darkness of night. I don't believe it was a full moon that night because he had such a view of the heavens and of the stars. And he starts out Psalm 8, and here's how he opens it. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. Verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, maybe the moon was out. What you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. David's out 
He's looking at the stars. He's perhaps looking at the moon. And he's thinking about all the creation. And he says, as he looks at the creation, he says, Oh, Lord, in all this beauty and all this creation, who am I? Who am I that you would consider me? That you would have thoughts about me? That you would have thoughts about us as human beings? Now, I'll never forget years ago on a trip, mission trip to Bolivia, and the few of us that were together were way up in the mountains, way up in the mountains, highest I've ever been. And we were out at night on this road and driving, and there's no other traffic. Every maybe hour and a half, you'd see another car. And uh, we stopped. We pulled over to the side of the road, and we all got out. And when I got out, I looked up, and I was, I've never experienced anything like that because I've never seen the stars that bright before. It was a dark night. There wasn't a moon that night. There were no street lights where we were. We were in the middle of nowhere, way up in the mountains. You know what we did? We laid down on the road, just laid down on the road. And for how long, I don't know. I didn't, who cares? <laughs> wasn't going to look at a watch. You know? And we just looked up. And those stars were, seemed about as close as these stage lights to me. And I've never experienced anything like that since. I've never seen the stars like I saw them that night. It was incredible. You can imagine David, he's looking up and he's saying, Lord, in this creation and what you've done, the stars, the moon, who am I? Who, who am I? What is man that you're mindful of him? Now, I hope you're still in Psalm 8. Because look at the next verse, verse 6. You made him ruler over the works of your hands, and you put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What's David thinking about when he goes to the all flocks and herds and beasts and stuff? Well, he's going all the way back to creation. Genesis chapter 1. Let me just read you one verse. Turn if you like. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground, over all the earth. I don't know if you realize God's original intention for you and me. You know what God's original intention in creating you and I? He creates us a little lower than the angels, but he has plans for us. He has plans for us. We're going to be kings. We're going to be priests. We're going to have dominion. Dominion. We're going to rule. That was God's original intention when he created Adam and Eve, to rule over the earth. Now, let me clue you in on this. If you're not aware... You and I do not rule over the earth right now. We do not. You know who rules over the earth? Jesus called him the prince of this world. Ephesians 2, he's called the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That would be around our planet and, of course, earth. How come Satan's ruling the earth? Remember temptation in the wilderness, Jesus tempted by the devil, and one of the temptations was he took him up on this high mountain, he showed him all the kingdoms of this world. He says, all you got to do is bow down and worship me, and I'll, I'll give them to you. Now, that is not a temptation unless Satan has the right to give the kingdoms of this world 
to Jesus. It's not a temptation unless he has the right. The book of Hebrews encourages its readers to discontinue their reliance on the law. Jesus came to fulfill not only the prophecies of a Savior, but also the law itself. He perfectly lived out every word of it, never wavering, and always showing love and kindness. Jesus then became the sacrificial lamb, the one who would die in your place, so you wouldn't need to face the punishment your sins deserve. His blood paid the price. All you need to do is accept it. Are you ready to take this step of faith? Jesus is ready and waiting for you to step away from your old life with loving arms wide open. If you're making a decision for your Savior today, please let us know. We want to pray for you and be available to answer any questions you might have. Please email us at info at ccfstpete.church. We're so glad that you tuned in today to The Living Word. If you live in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you too. Come by Calvary Chapel Fellowship on Saturday at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. to worship the Lord and learn from His Word with us. Be sure to stop Pastor Danny and let him know that you're a listener. You'll find more information and directions at ccfstpete.church. If you can't join us in person, you can still be a part of our virtual congregation. Join our live stream at ccfstpete.church. That's all we have for today. Tune in next time for more from this study in the book of Hebrews right here on The Living Word.